Charles, thank you for letting me interview you. Yes, so just a set of questions. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Because I'm fully aware that unless people who are the Mavericks gave me their time, I couldn't be doing what I'm trying to do, which I'll explain after. So, why do you want to do this interview? Um, I think that... Um, <clears throat> it's a really good question. I think that there are some important things for thing people to think about as they're building businesses. And I think there isn't enough thought that goes into... Uh, how people build businesses and how people are going to unlock their own potential. And I see a lot of wasted effort. Okay. So I think one of the things that I'm always anxious to kind of anxious to see happen is that people use use their energy in the most effective ways possible. And I think that if I can help them a little bit, then that would be fantastic. That's excellent and also very commendable. So how would you define a maverick? Um, somebody who sees things differently, somebody who's willing to work against the crowd, um, somebody who's not afraid to be told that they're wrong and, um, uh, and, and are prepared to have that conversation. So, why do you think you're a maverick, Charles? Um, because I think I've got a different way of looking at things. I think that I don't look at the expected, I don't take the status quo for granted, I'm, I'm prepared to challenge uh, traditional thinking, I'm prepared to offer a different way to look at things, I'm, I'm prepared to dig in and remove some of the noise. Okay. And I think, I'm not, I think a lot of people go along for the ride and I, I tend not to go along for the ride. Okay. The London School of Economics developed a maverickism scale. I'm going to give you seven statements and you just need to say true, false, can't decide. People tell me that I'm a maverick, or words to that effect. True. I have a knack for getting things right when least expected. True. I have a way of solving problems which is different from other people. True. I am much more productive than other people. True. I have very unusual talents. True. I am generally underestimated by people. Mm. No, false. Okay. I do things differently and better than most people when I work. True. Why do you do things differently? Why do I do things differently? Um, because I think there are better ways than, than, than the than ways people are currently doing things. Okay. You know, I think I see a lot of people just following rote behaviour um, because somebody has told them this is the right way to do it or because... You know, there's a lot of impetus towards doing things the same way, and um, uh, and I just think that that's a waste of energy in most cases. I, I, I'm always curious about why we're doing it that way, and let's see if there isn't a more effective way. And I think the other, I think the other component of that is taking a step back and saying, what is it you're trying to achieve before we even worry about how we're going to do it? Yeah. And I think not enough people ask that question. Exactly. Can you give me an example of what you do differently and how? Yeah, I think one of the things I do differently is, uh, as I say, really take a step back. In almost every situation, I'm prepared to stop the stop the dynamic, stop the energy, and uh, and the debate about the tactic, and take a step back and say, let's actually talk about the problem. And I think, as I said, not many people really are willing to really dig in and do that. I'm also always prepared to stretch the conversation. So I like to get people to come back as far as they can when they're looking at a problem and saying, really, what what is the biggest potential opportunity here? What's the biggest change you might be able to create from this situation? Um, so I think that's a that's a different way of looking at it. And then the other thing that I'm totally prepared to do, and I think is important, is that you you gather as much information as possible. So when I work with people, 
one of the things I do most early on is listen a lot so I don't tend to say very much to start Mm -hmm. with because I'm listening to I want all the inputs possible I want to understand what are the variables what are the pieces at play and then I feel like one of my skills and my job actually because I'm good at this is to clear away the noise and the debris and just say it's actually about this and maybe it's about this as well but let's get down to the things that really matter because all of this other stuff is is a consequence or a byproduct right okay is what you do equated to the bottom line or something else um, it always has an impact on the bottom line because from a business standpoint, if you're not affecting the bottom line, it's not a sustainable proposition anyway. Yeah. Business has to deal with the bottom line. Yeah. But I think that there is a holistic way of getting there. I think um, a large part of the bottom line can be a consequence uh, of, of better thought through behavior and actions. So you need to make sure that the consequences are what you think they're going to be. You can't ignore it and can't hope that it's going to work. But I think you could, there's a lot you can do to affect the bottom line without focusing directly at it as job number one. Okay. Is any part of being a maverick to do with autonomy over your life? Yeah, for sure. I, I like um, I like the ability to decide what I'm going to work on, and I like the ability to decide which problems are interesting. Um, so yeah, there is definitely part of it that is that is based on that. Okay. Does doing things differently require certain skills, talents, mindsets? And if so, what are they? Yes, I think so. I think I think you have to be prepared to to work against the status quo, which is a pretty powerful force. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be prepared to um, provoke the conversation. You have to be prepared to deal with people being frustrated by the fact that you don't want to have the conversation they want to have. You mm-hmm. want to take them to a different place. Mm-hmm. So I think you have to have a relatively thick skin from, from all of those perspectives. Um, and that's probably the biggest resource you need to begin with, I think, if you're, if you're, going, to be, if you're going to be prepared to help people see things in a different way. Okay. It's this, kind of this notion of standing in front of this freight train called the status quo and saying, stop. Yes. Because right, it's a very powerful force, the status quo. People think about it as static. It isn't static at all. It's relentlessly coming at you, in fact, to say, you know, no, we're going to do it the same way. We're going to do it the same way. We're going to do it. Here's all the reasons we're going to do it the yeah. same way. You've got to be pretty, you've got to have a lot of willpower to say, no, we're not doing that anymore. I really like that analogy of the freight train, actually, because that's a really good visual. I'm a visual person. Well, what? just as a quick kind of yeah, yeah. By, by thought to that. So I know that. Um, I think your first connection to me was through the uh, through an article I wrote last year in Fast Company, The Four Weapons. So somebody commented on that article and said how ridiculous it was that anybody would use the word weapons to describe somebody working in the creative world. And I thought to myself, you just don't understand how powerful a force the status quo is because you are absolutely in a exactly. battle against the status quo every day exactly. in weapons devices. Um, yeah, and pretty strong ones, I would say, strong but we'll words. talk about that after. What are the challenges to being a maverick in business? Um, the, I think the challenges are that there is a lot invested in doing things the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of people who want to go on doing things the same way because it feels safe. So you're dealing with fear. Uh, you're dealing with anxiety. Um, you got you, I think you have to be prepared to be able to deal with that kind of emotional side of it. Um, I think those are probably... Those are probably the biggest sort of opposite obstacles you have to overcome to start with. Those kind of emotional, those kind of emotional forces, those emotional barriers that people put up. Okay, what aspects of your character influence your maverick approach? 
Can you give me an example? Yeah. So, um, you know, like some people are really outgoing and they say that influences it or I'm really um, gregarious and that influences the fact that I will go in and do my thing or whatever it is. So is there anything that's your from your character that you think, you know, that can't, I'll yeah. use that? I'm pretty thoughtful. I mean, instinctively, I tend to just look at, look at things. I like to understand how stuff works. Um, I like putting pieces together. Um, you know, like I love doing jigsaw puzzles, for instance. Mm. I just like the notion of here's all this kind of chaos and out of this can we create a picture that actually makes sense. Right. So right. I think that kind of innate problem solving, you know, okay. I, I think at, at my core I feel like I'm a problem solver. And I, and I think um, if you're interested in solving problems, then, then the first question is what's the problem that needs to be solved here? Exactly. Are you born or bred a maverick? I think probably born. I think you can do things and people can help you cultivate it, but I think you do have to have that inherent willingness to go against the flow. And I'm not sure, you can probably cultivate that a bit, but I think somewhere in you you have to be, you have to have that willingness. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's entirely environmental. Do you think your childhood in any way impacted on your being a maverick? Um... Yeah, it probably, it probably hindered me to start with because, like a lot of people, I went through a pretty traditional educational process and that's really about trying to get you to conform into consistent ways of thinking and behaving. And I never really felt comfortable in that environment, nor did I succeed, truthfully. I was a very poor student in many ways because I don't, I don't learn the way that the academic system wants to teach you. Yeah. So it probably, you know, I spend a fair amount of time trying to figure out why why this that process was so alien to me and why I felt so much in conflict with it. And it wasn't until, oh, I don't know, probably I got into my, I, you know, probably mid-late 30s before I really realised that I was not only able to think in a different way, but actually I could create an environment which I could. Okay, okay. Were your parents mavericks? Uh, that's a good question. Um, my father is kind of a maverick, yeah. My father's a pretty powerful, was a pretty powerful name in the advertising industry and saw things differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, for his generation, I think it would be fair to say he was. Okay. How would you describe your energy? My energy? Yeah. It's at its best when it's engaged in solving a problem that matters okay. to me. Are you high energy, low energy? Um, it depends. If I'm, if I'm really engaged in something, I'm very high energy. If I'm, okay. If I... If I don't have a problem that's particularly interesting at the moment, I'm pretty low energy. Yeah, that makes I'm sense. A Sherlock, I'm a bit Sherlock Holmesian like that. Like I need that. <laughs> I need that thing. Yeah, that drives. I yeah. need that drive. How? Not, do... I, yeah, I don't need the drug. I should. I should. I, don't, I should add, hasten to add. But I do need. I do need some substantive problem to be grappling with. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm finding that it's like people just want a challenge. Solve yeah. that one. What's the next challenge? It's yeah, like a, exactly. Yeah. How do you see rules? How do I see rules? Um, they're to be broken. Okay. Anything else you want to add to that? Um, no, I think rules. I think rules have a really important role to play, but I think they have to be the right rules. And, and I feel the same way about any kind of parameter. Right? I think. I think business in general. I think creativity for sure needs mm. guardrails. You have to understand what what the what the constraints are of the problem. Mm. It's interesting. I think there are. Um, there was a really smart creative director I worked for very early on in my career, and he said you have to guard against sliding around on the slippery slope of creative irrelevance. 
um, because because he said, uh, you know, you need to understand what is the problem that we're trying to solve here, and then we can apply creative thinking to do that. So I think that you need rules, and I think yeah. you need they just have to be the right rules. They yeah. have to be rules that actually are, guide, are actually helpful towards solving the problem. You, I was interviewing um, um, somebody from Hootsuite, and he turned around, and when I asked him that, so just I think you might be interested, and he was saying that um, sometimes rules can be creative, and he said the fact that they, a tweet can only be 140 characters has made people, that rules made people be more creative, and I re- that really made me think, oh, hang on, yeah, this boundary, and that's yeah. what it's made me think of when you've said that. And when we built we built a film editing company that was very creative, but it was built on incredibly powerful um, practices and, and systems. And one of the best kind of compliments we got from somebody who worked for us was they said, you know, there's no systems here. And they said, well, what about that and that and that and that? And they said, oh, oh my God, there are systems here, but they work so beautifully against what it is that we're trying to do that you don't really feel like you're constrained. There was actually, we had, you know, we, were, we had really discipline processes that, mm. that we followed but it gave us enormous power and as I said they were designed to make people's jobs easier yeah so I think those type as long as you design rules well they're incredibly powerful and constructive that makes sense have you always taken a maverick approach to business or was there a particular trigger um I have I haven't always that's a good question was there a particular trigger I th- actually, the, tri- the trigger, honestly, was uh, falling in love with my wife because it gave, uh, it gave me the opportunity to realize that there was, a, there, was, there was a possibility of... She and I were working at a, an ad agency together and we had okay. been working together very professionally and happily for a couple of years before we fell in love. And it happened one night at a concert, and um, we suddenly realized that there was the that we had this powerful relationship that was both professional and personal. I think that gave me um, the kind of the security or the platform to say, you know what, what might we be able to do with this? <clears throat> and I think, like a lot of mavericks, to use your use your terminology, I'm I'm best when I have somebody in my life who's able to provide the other part of that equation. So Chris is very much kind of the, you know, the other half of that where she makes sure that things are happening. Mm. So I can be expansive. I can be, what if we did this? Um, and I think when we, when that partnership went to the next level, literally, mm. I suddenly thought, oh, you know what? if you take these two skill sets and combine them, we could build something pretty powerful out of that. And then I started to really let my imagination go in terms of what we might be able to create together. Yeah. It's really interesting because my partner's exactly the same. He has everything's on a spreadsheet and planned down to the detail. If we're travelling, for example, me, I want to pick my backpack up and say, where do I want to go this morning? But it works. Nobody can believe it, but it's, it's, it's a really, really healthy relationship. Yeah. Um, yeah. Are you always a maverick, or do you do you choose to be so at times? I don't think. Well, I think you probably you can certainly decide is it worth going through the effort right. to try to change somebody's mind about this. So I guess from that standpoint, you can decide whether you want to just go with the flow, whether you whether you want to uh, actually sort of engage yourself fully in the process. So I think from that standpoint, I don't think you can ever turn off the. Um, 
the ability to see things differently. I think it's really a question of whether you decide to actually pour your energy into trying to make it be different. Okay. Like, there's, a, there's a difference, right, between thinking about it differently and actually making something happen in a different way. Yeah, true. Yeah. Do you turn this... The, a lot of these questions... Um, I started off with a page of questions, but all, a lot of these questions have come out from the other Mavericks. And considering your interview number 52... You can see why it's got the... So one of the questions was, do you turn the dial up and down on the maverickism level then? Um, I hadn't ever thought about it, but I suspect so. Yeah, I think I think that's right. Yes, I do, okay. as I think about it. There are clearly times where you think the potential of what could happen here justifies really throwing yourself into this and trying to stretch the possibilities. And here you think either the potential isn't that great or the appetite for change isn't that great and so therefore you know let me just kind of let me just offer some expansive thinking but you know if they don't want to take it up that's fine so I, I think that yes you do kind of you do kind of vary it depending on I mean as I'm sure a lot of the people you've already talked to have either said or intimated you know it takes a lot of energy right to mm. actually work against you know, the status quo, quite, the yeah. natural flow. And so I think that um, being conscious about where the investment... I used to spend, I think, I'm sure a lot of the original thinkers like this, I used to just throw myself into every situation and think, you know, I'll just do all of this. And I, one of the things that I've become more judicious about is, is, is realising where can you actually make a difference and so therefore um, where is it worth putting all that energy, that energy into? Definitely. Um, so when you're when you're choosing how much of the maverickism you're going to do, is that a conscious or unconscious choice? I think it's probably a bit of both. I think there are certainly times where you kind of instinctively understand, you know, there isn't really a lot of appetite on the other side. One of the things, one of the things I use as a starting point for myself is to say, you know, it can't be more important to me than it is to you. Now, I think actually that's a pretty healthy initial filter it is very but there, healthy but there are clearly times where that's not true right like if you're really going to be an original thinker there are times when it does have to be more important to, to me you. than it is yeah. to you because i can see it in a different way and i and part of my part of the opportunity and sometimes even part of the responsibility of most is to help is to kind of go through a process to help somebody else see it differently now you may decide, having gone through that process, that it still isn't worth it isn't worth the effort or the risk or whatever the criteria is are to you. But um, but I do think that there are times where you know I, you have to invest yourself into helping somebody to be able to see it something in a different way. Yeah, true. What are the advantages and disadvantages of being a maverick in business? Um. The disadvantages are that you always see possibility in everything. Yes. Right? There are very few situations where you can't see how it could be turned into something really productive, beneficial, valuable, exciting, original, innovative. Um, but there are not that many people who kind of go along for that, who can see that in the same way. Um, mm -hmm. So patience is an important part of being a maverick, I think. Mm -hmm. um, the advantages are that you can clearly make things happen that other people can't conceive of. And, um, you know, I think that that far outweighs all of the other possibilities, all the other sort of, it's not even negatives, right, all the other obstacles you have to overcome. Okay. 
How, you've touched on this already, but has age and experience altered your maverick approach? And how have you grown? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think in terms of the filter uh, um, of deciding, you know, what's really worth the effort here um, and also understanding better the kind of process to take people through to help them see it in a different way. There was, I think that when I was younger, I got more frustrated more easily because I could see something so clearly mm. and um, other people couldn't. And so I'm like, well, how can you not see it? And then you start to realize because you have this ability to see that and mm. sometimes people just need, they're not denying it. They're not saying, no, I don't want to. They just don't have, they don't have that perspective yet. Do you know, it's a little bit like, you know that picture, though, that famous psychological picture where some people can see a vase and some people can yes. see two faces. It's kind of like, the, I, I'm a visual, like I said, visual person. What you're saying is you can see the faces, but the other person can't see nothing but the vase. And you can't beat somebody up because they can only see the vase. Yeah, and, and I think, right, exactly. And, and you can't get impatient with something. Sometimes you have to give, you have to be able to just take it more slowly mm. and give them more context and put it together piece by piece and then let them come to, the, come to their own conclusion. Um, and I think I've learned through age and experience that as you do that, as you're more sort of empathetic about what they're dealing with, you can get, you can create more dramatic outcomes as a result of that consequence. You know, I think I'm a big fan of evangelical leadership. I do think that businesses benefit from having somebody who says, this is where we're going. Mm. This is why this is important. Come for the ride. Yeah. But not everybody, it's not a binary situation, right? Not every, people who don't sign up in the first moment um, uh, should not be discarded because they didn't sign up in the first moment. I mean, I was watching this story the other night actually about um, kind of the acceptance of gay marriage which I thought was a really interesting reference point. And it's yeah. talked about how it's really gained momentum clearly and how people have come on board at different points. And this person was making the point that said, you can't deny somebody who's only been a fan of this for a year that they're now a fan of it because you've been a fan of it for five years. Exactly. Right? It's, not, it's not less important or less relevant that they have understood it and or seen it the same way as you for less time than you have seen it that way. That to me sounds like, you know, the bell continuum, the early yeah. adopters and the laggards. Just because the laggards went and bought their iPhones after everybody else doesn't mean they're not owners of an iPhone. And might very well be coming up with uses for it that we haven't seen. Exactly. Considered. So, yeah, yeah I, I think that this notion of, sort of patience and empathy is a very important one. Yeah, definitely. What aspects of your business are you most maverick in, Charles? Um, that's a really good question. Um, that's a re really good question, really. What aspects of my business... Well, I, it's kind of a cliche, but I think, you know, this whole notion of speak truth to power, I'm not, I'm not at all afraid of telling people what I think is actually happening in a situation because I'm very clear that it is what's happening in the situation or that, it's going to, or that it is what's going to happen in the situation, even, sort of even more compellingly. And I think a lot of people make decisions that, are, that look to them like this is... I've really considered this and it's really well thought out, but in fact, most of the time it's just well-disguised guesswork. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not, a, I'm not unwilling to help 
or to provide them with the context of the decision they're making and say, look, maybe you still decide you want to do it that way, but I think part of my responsibility is to stand here and tell you why I think this is not going to take you in the path that you think it's going to take you. But isn't that, authentic, isn't that authentic leadership? Sorry? Isn't that authentic leadership? Yeah, I think, I think it is. And, um, mm. and I think that what I've discovered is that the people um, who, are, who tend to be much more successful in more meaningful ways are the people who not only can hear that kind of incisive advice, but who want to hear that kind of incisive advice. Definitely. There's no doubts about that at all. What aspects of your business are you least maverick in? Um, um, getting paid on time. Okay, okay. It's really funny. Tax and finance... Hands down winner, I'm hoping, okay, is that out of the 100 interviews I'm going to do, I'm really hoping there's going to be one person who's learned how to magnify and maverickify the, the whole tax system and find it, you know, break the mould. But everybody's like, oh, no, when it comes to the IRS, which is, you know, it's all problem. Yeah, it's, it's true. Because, um, well, in fact, because, you know, there are more important battles to fight and more important wars to win. That's a good way of putting it. You can't win that one. No. And it's not, you know, I'm a big fan of building a sustainable practice. So, so thinking about stuff differently is really important. And one of the ways to think about stuff differently is actually, are you building this so it will last? Mm. What are the consequences of how you're doing this? And one of the things that is not sustainable is to try and create practices that work against the law, um, for instance, right? Because at some point, that will catch up with you. And the consequences then will be magnified a thousand times. So I don't see that as a scalable practice. But I like what you just said about why would you spend energy trying to change that when you could be spending that energy so much more worthwhile? Okay. What aspects of your life are you most maverick in? Huh, that's a really good question. I'm a coach, it's my job to ask really good questions. What aspects of my life am I Well, we rescue, uh, we have four rescue dogs. Okay. Um, and uh, that's not always the most obvious or easiest Um answer for many situations but I do think it's the right it's the right one so I think that um, the willingness to take on um, a difficult cause and really try and make a difference oh yeah so we do that in two I do it in two ways so one is we have four rescue dogs and then the other the other the other aspect of that that I realized was I can't adopt or find homes for every unwanted animal in the world so um, I'm on the board of directors of an organization in Chicago called Poor Chicago, which is systematically attacking the issue of unwanted homeless animals by okay. developing a comprehensive spay neuter program. So I think that I'm trying to both address the issue on a personal basis by providing homes to as many dogs as one realistically can for, I think we've discovered is the realistic number. Um, but then I also want to make sure that I'm actually trying to solve the problem you know, systemically by being involved at kind of the macro level with, with an organisation that can solve it. Well, with everything you've just said, Charles, I'm not surprised you're on that board. Um, <laughs> it, it just ties in with everything you've just said and stood for. Um, what aspects of your life are you least maverick in? Um, well, I'm very devoted to my wife. 
and uh, we have glad a, to hear it. We have a very um, connected, um, supportive, respectful, loving um, relationship. I think it's interesting actually because we've been together for twenty years, and right. we see each other fairly often. You know, isn't it isn't it amazing to feel this way about somebody after twenty years? Because you look around and see a lot of married couples who just don't have that, no. and. You know, I think that um, we're very lucky from that standpoint. Mm. I'll have to I'll share this with you. I get up every morning, okay, and every morning I think about what am I going to do today to make me worth being the girl on his arm? Uh, what a great question. What a yeah, great question to ask that's, yourself. That's, that's what I do. I go out with this guy who's so different to me. I go out with Mr Darcy. Oh, do you really? I go out with the man who I respect, has has integrity written through him like a stick of rock. I'll give you an example, and I know it's off course, but you told me about it. Yeah, yeah, no, it's great. Um, I was trying to do this study, and I wasn't getting any... Initially, you know, trying to find mavericks is not the easiest thing to do. And when an ex-children's nurse, you know nobody in this industry. And um, I said to him, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'll, I'll, I'll send a reminder email to all the ones who are important, yeah? And he turned round and he said, um, but I thought you said you'd never make a difference between the big man and the small man. Wow. And I went, thank you, you just put... That's fantastic. And he's like, seriously, I'm like, the difference is I'm tequila slamming, champagne drinking, snowboard chick right and my boyfriend is stripy shirt wearing chino wearing golf playing quantity surveyor <laughs> that's fantastic yeah, what a we, we should meet us four should definitely meet and do dinner what a contrast that's fantastic how do you balance being a maverick with home life? You've said it's, you know, the, the respect thing with your wife. Um, because some people are saying, you know, they're maverick in the office, but like at home they just want, you know, domestic bliss. But some people say, well, no, actually, I'm it's, it's one and the same. So where do you sit with that? Yeah, I think it is one of the same. I mean, I think one, one of the things that we've learned to navigate is that there are some things that are really important to Chris that I've realized, you know what, I might have a different opinion or I might have a completely different way of looking at it, but honestly, it, it's, it's not likely to be any more right. It's just going to be different. Mm. So, um, so I've learned that, but there are also places where um, I really feel like it's important that, you know, there, that there is a different way to look at something. And I, we've, one of the things that we've found is a way to be able to have that conversation so that I can say, no, you're really intent on this, but if we take a step back and look at this differently. And, and um, one of the things that Chris has always valued in me from a professional standpoint is his ability to see the world differently and see the future differently. And at one point we were having a struggle over something because I had a very different point of view about it and she, and she was complaining about it. I said, well, you know, if you value the original thoughts that comes in that part of our life, then it probably makes sense to value it here as well. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You don't, it doesn't have to be right or wrong. You don't ha and we don't have to do it that way, but you should at least understand why, why I see it that way. Yeah. And, and so, so having navigated that, I think it's, it's easy. So there are, yeah, I mean, I, I, I tend, the status quo is not all that interesting to me in most aspects of life, whether it's, business or personal yeah, and I definitely. think when you do the kind of the stuff that I do 
yeah, there's a real kind of, it's very, there's no real distinction between the two. I'm sure with you yeah. it's the same thing, right? I mean, your life is your life and there are times you're doing different things, but it's not on, off, on, off. Yeah, it's not on, off, on, off. I would say, um, and I think I'm going to put this question in, I was thinking about it as I've been talking to you, about emotional intelligence. What I do is I, I have, they did an assessment on emotional intelligence and I was off the Richter scale. And I should, I should be, I've had to stand and tell a parent that their child isn't going to make it through the night. I'm an ex-children's nurse, so, so off on a, not a tangent, but um, there's nothing any CEO on the planet could tell me that this is a tough day and a tough problem. Yeah. Because that's what, I, I've buried a four-year-old and a 17-year-old on the same day. Let's get a fucking grip and deal with this, people. Yeah. That's my yeah. mental attitude. But it's about understanding when and where to say it. Like with my partner, he's so different. He can't handle more than one thing at a time. So I, if I've got this, if, if in one area, if I've got the higher level of emotional intelligence, I would be stupid and negligent not to use that. Because I know immediately, hang on, I'm overloading him. It's for me to take that step back and say, he just needs to focus on this. Let him focus on that. I'll bring that one round when he's ready. That's that's called you. What we say between us, it's like we our, our differences are our strength. And what we yeah. do is, and you'll love this. I haven't done this with anybody else, but um, I use the Carl Jung personality test. Interesting. And what I do is, beside my in my bedside drawer is a copy of what he is, and in his bedside beside his bed is a copy of who what I'm like. So every time I'm starting, I can see myself. I recognise I'm trying to make him think like me. I go back and read that and remind myself. Why are you trying? He's not trying to make me like him. So why am I trying to make him think like I do? Yeah, it's disres it's disrespectful. Yeah, so I agree um, with that entirely. It's a great perspective. Um, is any part of being a maverick related to the legacy you want to leave behind? Oh yeah, for sure, I, absolutely. And I really want to make a difference, and um, and want to feel like I've made a contribution that was lasting. So. I think part of a big part of that is just being willing to look at consequences and and being willing to have the you know the conversations that go through the process of helping people understand what those consequences are. Okay, could I ask you what is the legacy you want to leave behind? If you had to say this is the legacy, um, that I made things clearer for people, that I gave them the ability to make better decisions that allowed them to fulfil their own potential and to lead. Um, more successful lives, but su but success in the broadest sense. Yes. Like how you define success, I think, is very personal. I don't. I don't mean. I mean, I think you know, it, fi finance is clearly always part of the conversation for everybody. It's just a fact of life, so it always has to be. But there are so many other definitions. So helping people understand what success looks like that to, to them, them and helping yeah. them do the things that are actually going to help them reach that point. Yeah. Yeah. How much of any of being a maverick is related to what you call give back or pay it forward? Yeah, I'm a believer in that if you put good energy out into the universe, that that that, that creates you know good stuff for everybody, mm -hmm. um, and that some of that will reflect back. So yeah, I'm, I'm a I'm a big believer in that. Okay, mavericks tend to be risk takers. What's the biggest risk you've taken to date in business? Oh, um, I think we, we did it a couple of times. You know, we 
Chris and I had very successful advertising agency careers, and we realized that we were only ever going to be a small cog in a very large mechanism. And we left that to start our own business. Um, but but at that point, we we had a, uh, we came up with a very simple rationale, actually, which was very constructive. We said that we know what our minimum level of success is. It's what we're doing today. So let's see what else we can do from, yeah. from here, right? So... That was that was a pretty good um, platform um, by which to make decisions for a while. And but probably the biggest moment was we had built this very successful film editing company. It gave us a you know great income stream, very high quality of life. And we had a lot of control over our own destiny and the way we lived our life. We could travel together everywhere. Um, it was really strong and we decided that we had reached the end of that journey and that we would sell sell the business and move on um, because we just thought this is actually too easy and we are just kind of going through this process that I'm not, you know, we're not finding out anything about ourselves. Hmm. So we we had built the business so that, so that the founders could leave um, fairly easily. So I think six weeks after deciding we were ready to leave and the company was able to have us leave, we were actually gone. Okay. Um, and, um, and there was a lot of risk in that because, you know, we knew who we were in that context. We had no idea who we were without the um, construct of a company behind us, whether it was the agency we had met at or whether it was a company we had built. Um, and, and that was, most people looked just like, what are you doing? Why would anybody do this? And um, we just said, we want to find out what else we're capable of. Wonderful. Complete respect to you for that. Thank you very much. It was nine years ago. Wow. <laughs> how many ventures? Now, this is, how, yeah, how, some people I interview, they're serial entrepreneurs. Um, and some people, are they run one company, so then I ask them about projects. So I don't know which category you're going to fit in. So how many ventures or projects have you taken in the past five years? Oh, that's a good question. A lot. Um, I, mean, I, I live what I call a portfolio life. I don't know if anyone's mm-hmm. ever sort of described the same, same kind of thing. But I always, I, I've realised that I can handle or should, should handle, should focus on four Sometimes five, but typically four things at the same time. Okay. So, I, so my business is always part of that. You know, the, so the, the, the process of being the looking glass and so, you know, working with clients and doing all the things that go around that okay. is, is obviously always a, you know, a, a primary part of it. Um, my work with the not-for-profit mm-hmm. is a big part of it. Um, um, I write a lot and I've been working on a... Um, my second, on, a, on two novels actually, I've finished the first one and I'm writing the second one, which I want to present as a pair. Mm-hmm. So that's fairly large you know, amount of sort of commitment. Um, and, uh, and then there's a piece of software that we've been working on for a while. So, you know, the kind of how I dial them up and how I dial them down depends on a variety of things. But okay. those are kind of always in play somewhere in my kind of portfolio. Okay. And then if other things come in, I've learned that I need to make a choice about is this more important than one yeah. of those four? Okay. Um, and if it is, then which one am I stepping back? And if it isn't, then why am I doing it? Okay, good way of time management. I know a few mavericks who could do with that skill. Um, what, are you, what do you consider are the characteristics of a successful venturer? Um, 
Well, I think the simple answer to that is one that achieved its goals. And I think the um, the shortcoming that most people have when they build a business is they don't think about those hard enough. They don't really think about what it is. What am I trying to achieve here? To be clear back to our other point, they don't really think about what will success look like. Yeah. And when do I hope to have achieved that by? So I'm a big believer that businesses are built best when you, when they when they have a map. In other words, they have a destination that they're trying to reach and then they can start to navigate, you know, where what is the journey we're gonna to have to take and who mm. will we need to join us on the way and what skills and tools will we need. Now, you know, the destination can change and almost always does over time as mm. you kind of go through the process. But you need a starting place, I think. And that that I think is um, is pretty lacking in almost all businesses that I see. They everybody focuses on what we do, right? So, you know, this is what we do and and this is how we do it. Well, most people, most customers are not very interested in either one of those two things. They really don't care about what you do and they really don't care, especially don't care about how you do it. What they care about is can you help them solve a problem that mm. they have? Mm. And it's staggering how many how few businesses don't talk about that. I mean, yeah, to, you know, talk exactly. about that. And it's really, you, and it's particularly true, I think, in the kind of creative area where I spend a lot of my time. You know, you see companies endlessly telling people, we do this and this is how we do it. You think, who's listening to this? Yeah. So I think, you know, the successful venture is this is the problem we're here to solve and this is what it's going to take to solve that problem. Um, and then let's build a business to do that. So the greatest example of that and the greatest, one of the best examples of that I've come across in the last three or four years is Netflix, who knew the company they wanted to be nine years before they could be that company. Yeah. You know, they started in 1999, mm. and, they, and they wanted to be Netflix, the Internet's home movie delivery yeah. company, and they knew the Internet couldn't give them the bandwidth they needed to be that business for nine more years. So they were prepared to build a business while waiting for the technology to catch up and they put all the other pieces in place. And when the internet did catch up in 2008, that business went virtual. Right? Yeah, North. that makes um, sense. And, and that, to me, is a successful venture, not just because of what they've achieved, but because they achieved it because they were clear about what they were trying to achieve. Thank you. I, I, do, do you know what? I sit here and I talk to people like you. Um, somebody said to me the other day, what you must have floating around in there must be amazing. But it's just picking these things up. These are like pearls of wisdom. right? I'm, I'm with you, but you've just taught me something really, really important. I'm a firm believer of Simon Sinek's work. I always start with why. Yeah. I have an idea of the goal I'm going to. My coach told me the what and how are semantics. As long as you know why you're doing it and where you want to get, the rest you can work out along the way. Well, and they will change, right? I mean, what if, if we've learned nothing over the last 10 years is that the world is changing all the time, faster yeah. than we can possibly predict. Keep, and faster so than we can... can right, if you're going to get fixed on a technique or a technology or a tool, <coughs> that will become irrelevant. Well, you'll be history because you'd be Kodak. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's um, exactly. Of the ventures you've done... How many were successful according to the definition you've just given me then? Um, that's a good question. Um, <coughs> well, the White House was clearly successful. The White House was the firm company we built, and that exceeded every definition that we had for success. Okay. I think the looking glass, given uh, compared to where we thought we would be today, is extremely successful. Okay. Um, I think we are operating at a higher level. Um, we're helping people 
with more influence than we thought we would be at this particular point. Um, I think that the animal welfare group that I work with, huge success. Um, so I think those three are clearly um, really powerful. Okay. Um, I think the ones where we haven't achieved what we hope to probably have been as a result of we haven't been or I haven't been committed enough and sort of focused enough on it. I think that's one of the lessons. Because that was one of my questions. You know, when it doesn't work, why yeah. do they fail? Yeah, lack, lack of focus, lack of commitment. Okay. Um, I, I read somewhere that the, 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 um, the trait, the characteristic most prevalent in the most successful CEOs is not strategic thinking or financial you know, um, astuteness, but is in fact resilience and determination. It's the willingness just to get up every day and go back and try again. Completely concur with that, especially because I used to work with young people. That was yeah. my specialist area. I did adolescence. And there was this whole thing about how did some of these kids who were so... Oh, brilliant examples. I went to the... British, the Royal Geographic Society. I used to, I'm into traveling, so I went to their talks. And there was this guy there who'd written a book called Great Explorers. And he was friends with um, Saran Alfines and stuff. And he turned around and he said, You know what would be really, I got chatting to him and he said, You know what would be really interesting? And he goes, How many of us who are explorers and are doing all these things all came from single parent families and I've got and we're trying to prove to the world we're good as you guys he goes that would be a piece of research worth taking and it was that thing about that resilience to overcome obstacles and and succeed in the face of adversity and to be quite honest a lot of my mavericks have a lot of the people that have that's been part of the thing it's something that drives them inside um okay so back to the success question you've answered what leads to successful execution of a venture what did you do, Charles, that makes the venture successful? If somebody said to you, what did you bring to the table? Well, I think that um, one of my strengths is, is uh, that I have real clarity about what the future looks like. And so okay. when you have that, you are able to make decisions that seem like they ought to be really complicated. You make them very much simpler. So the filmmaking company is a really good example. I saw what that company would look like and how it would operate five years before, maybe more than that, seven years before it actually could. Um, and so every decision that I then made as the chief executive of that company was driven and guided by that vision of the future. Okay. And that gave the company a very powerful true north. And there was a lot of resistance because people didn't work the way that I was suggesting we should work and they didn't do the things that I was suggesting we should do. But because I knew what it was that we were going to become, I could see the pieces that were necessary, and therefore it gave me the ability to um, to help people to see each of these pieces kind of you know, in process. And as I said, you know, I think one of the things I learned through that process and others was that it wasn't enough to simply say, I could see it, just trust me. You have to take the time to explain why these pieces are important, because the other thing that's really important, I think one of the other definitions of success actually, is the ability to give other people the opportunity to participate, you know, to bring their own skills to that particular journey, right? There's, there's, there's no point you having a vision that nobody else understands and then you just trying to bully people into doing it the way you know it needs to be done. You need to give them the context, explain to them what you're trying to achieve, hear back their concerns, their frustrations, their resistances, help them, help them break those down, and then give them the confidence that they have 
um, important things to contribute that only they can contribute if yes, they want to. Completely. As a maverick, what are you afraid of? Um, uh, waiting too long to make a change. Okay. How important is team to you as a maverick? Team? Yeah, really, really important. I think that um, it's really, it's invaluable, I think, to get different people's perspectives about a situation. And I like, as I said earlier, to get a lot of input and a lot of, um, uh, yeah, kind of just a, a lot of information. And I think having a team around who's prepared to debate and discuss and explore and look at different possibilities is incredibly important. And I also think that, you know, the world is a complicated place. And so having people who have expertise in different areas just adds to the richness and the depth of the Definitely. conversation and expands the possibilities. Do you draw upon other mavericks in any way? Oh, yeah. I like, I mean, I like finding original thinkers. I like the provocation of how people who think originally, um, how they look at the world, um, because I, I find that it tends to spark different kinds of thinking in my own head. Um, and then you can really start to get you know, things flying around um, okay. if, you, if you're willing to be exposed to that kind of thinking yourself. Yeah, and with your skill of listening first, you're going to be more exposed to it than somebody who's got it just with tunnel vision. Um, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm very open to positive yeah. people throw at me. How and where did you get your permission to be a maverick? Um, I don't think I got permission. I think I just decided that, that there was a better way and why would we not try and pursue the better way? And, so would, um, it, would it be right to say you got your permission from yourself then? Yeah, for sure. Because, yeah, I, I mean, I didn't come from a background that kind of celebrated... Um, original thought. Um, well, that's not quite. I didn't get. I didn't come from a background that said, you know, work outside the box or walk away from the stable job. You know, I came from a very traditional kind of upbringing, very mm. traditional background, and sort of security and longevity of career path. All of that was really important. So it was. I think it was. It was absolutely kind of my own view that said that's not. It's not all that interesting, and I suspect it's not sustainable. Right. So do it differently. Think okay. about it differently. Does being a maverick affect your approach to leadership? Yes. Um, yes, because I, I, whether it's my own leadership of something or whether it's helping other people become um, more effective leaders, you know, I think that the willingness to, to shape the status quo is really powerful, and um, I think the people who are willing and able to join you in that effort um, are the ones that you really feel like you know you can do something really special here. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think there are three different kind of leaders in very broad generalization. Okay. There are, there are caretakers. Mm -hmm. There are change agents. Mm -hmm. There are evangelists. Mm -hmm. I think most leaders of serious businesses think they're change agents, but actually are just caretakers. Okay. And there are very, very few genuine evangelists. Yeah. I think every leader needs to be a real change agent at the very least. Um, because I think the world is just too unpredictable to think that caretaking is actually going to be healthy for the business, and it's not particularly fulfilling for the individual. So I think find, helping leaders who understand... Um, how they can be change agents and um, the things that they already have that would make them very effective change agents. One of the things that I think most leaders don't understand 
are their own strengths. Most, I think this is true of most people, right? I'm sure as a coach you see this all the time. But most leaders, even at the very highest levels of organizations, I found don't understand what their strengths are. And so they think that because it's easy for them, it's easy for everybody else. And so they either ignore or, or mm. dilute the importance of those skills. And so I think if you can help people understand you are capable of creating change here and you have the skills to do this, um, you really start to unlock people's potential as Definitely. a leader. There was a lovely quote. I used to travel to Angel Islington Station and they had this placard there where they put a different quote up every day and you read quotes all the time. But this one was so powerful, I, I never forgot it. it. What did it say? It said, um, everybody, has, everybody has gifts. Some people just never learn to open their presents. And I thought to myself, oh... My God, this is, and I can remember it, I can verbatim remember what it said there because it was, it made such a big impression to me. Um, Is being a maverick related to creativity? And if so, how? Um, Yeah, I I think that, I think that the two are essentially the same, right? Because I think that creativity is about original thought. It's Mm -hmm. about solving problems for original thought. And I think being a maverick is a, you know, it's a great sort of brand label for people who are willing to think about things differently. So I think that I think most people truth most people truthfully are creative thinkers. They the education system tends to filter a lot of it out, unfortunately. I think um yeah. That's why that's, that's why kids are the most creative people yeah. on the planet. Because people lose that. Um, they, really, they really do, don't they? If you right. if you give kids a, a something to construct and you say they they don't turn around and say this can't be done because of this 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 and this they just do it. And I think that's what gets. I think the education system. You were far more eloquent than me. I think it beats the crap out of that. That it just beats that out of you. And all the I can tell you now, most of the people I've interviewed. It's been a challenge because it is that whole conform, 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 and because they wouldn't conform, or they tried to, and it broke their spirit. So they then they, the only way they could like most of them, say, I couldn't see myself doing anything else because this is what I was supposed. This is who right. I am. Right. What about innovation? How does being a maverick relate to innovation? Then well, I think innovation is the application of creativity. So yeah, so I think that. You know, as a as a as an original thinker, if you if you are um, focused on problems and you think about them originally, then innovation is is really the ability to then take the solution and turn it into practice. Mm-hmm. Are there any career decisions that you regret in relation to your potential as a maverick? I don't think so. And you know, it's, it's also a cliche to say, you know, you don't want to look back and kind of regret what you've done. Um, you know, I think if you're happy with your life, then the, the, the decisions you've made have brought you to this point, and so therefore they were either they were good decisions or they have turned out well. You have, or you have, you have made sure they turned out well. So no, okay. nothing I look back at. Mavericks tend to be learners. What are you a student of? Um, well, it's definitely. Um, what makes people behave certain ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a student of um, how organizations unlock creativity and creative thinking. I'm a huge, um, I study that. I really think that that's a, 
that's an absolutely crucial foundation for the world going forward. And businesses have to be able to figure out how do we bring in original thinkers into this business and how do we get them to be able to apply their genius to solving problems that we have no, no ability to predict at the moment. So okay. I think, you know, unlocking creativity at the, at the personal level and the organizational level in the business environment is really what I'm a student of. Okay. Is there anyone who's a maverick that inspires you? Who jumped into your head? Um, well, I'm sure, I'm sure the whole world says Steve Jobs because he really did change the way the world works so many, you know, endlessly and did it in such extraordinary ways. So, I, you know, I think we'll be talking about him for generations to come, as we should. I mean, I think he's going to go down as, you know, Einstein. Yeah, definitely. He's at that level, right? He's one of the, probably the top five contributors to, um, you know, kind of global, global economy. Um, any of us have been fortunate enough to be around, and certainly our lifetimes are well beyond that. Um, you know, I think Reed Hastings of Netflix is really an interesting guy because I think that he had this ability to see the future and was willing to work towards it. Um, I think Howard Schultz at Starbucks is really commendable, not because he's not just because he's built a very successful business, but because he's relentlessly challenging the status quo yes. within the business. I think that that's I think that's extraordinary. Okay. Um, and, you know, and I, and, I, and I think I think President Obama is pretty remarkable, not so much for his political achievements, because I'm not sure that he's achieved what he might have done, but I do think the fact that he has been able to make this enormous seismic societal change and to do it with unbelievable grace and dignity, actually. Yeah, grace was the word that was in my head, yeah. Just extraordinary personal attacks. Um, I think that that is hugely admirable and commendable I think you can learn a lot from that okay who is someone in your life that makes all the difference oh my wife for sure Chris what do you have to suffer or sacrifice because you're a maverick um I think you have to um sacrifice the fact that everybody's going to be pleased to see you (laughs) And you're going to love this, okay? I don't normally go off, but I find that I can't just sit at the end and say, and somebody, it's better to tell you as it goes along. Somebody turned around and went, well, you know what, Bill? And when they called me Bill, I know I'm in. They went, they don't like us. They don't understand us. They don't know what to do with us. He goes, but they want what we can produce. (laughs) That's true. And I thought, I think you're bang on. It's true. So, carrying on, what motivates you as a maverick? Um, People using their time effectively and people achieving what it is that matters to them. Um, You know, as I think I said at the beginning, I see a lot of people doing things that are not likely to create the outcomes they want uh, Mm -hmm. because they haven't really been clear with themselves about what outcomes are important to them or because they're not clear about the consequences of things they're doing now. So I really like to see people able to fulfill their own dreams and their own ambitions and um, I I find that really rewarding. Yeah, that's why we do what we do. Um, Do you like being a maverick? I do. It would be very hard to just, I think, just kind of go along with the flow. I would have a, I, I can't imagine what that would be like. You touched on this a little bit, Charles. Is being a maverick a responsibility in any way? Yeah, I think so. I think that, um, you know, I think when you when you can see 
Um, somebody's putting time and energy and passion, efforts, determination, money into something that is not going to give them the outcome they want. I, I do think there's a responsibility to stop and say, is that, is that really, um, if you do this, it's probably, this is probably going to happen. Is that really important to you? Um, and just at least making sure people are kind of making mindful decisions. Okay. Is being a maverick important and why? Um, I, yeah, I think it is. I think especially in today's world, you know, I think we're entering what people increasingly beginning to call the creative economy, which is not about, you know, an industrial process. It's not about managing knowledge. It's about being able to navigate uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And I think that that requires people who are willing to stand up and say, the ways that we've done stuff until now is not sustainable. You can't, that's not going to work in the future. Okay. We have to think about this problem differently. And if we don't do that, we're destined both individually and organizationally and even as a society mm-hmm. uh, to cause ourselves enormous problems and, and to, I think, pretty unre- unrelentingly fail to unlock our own potential. So I do think there's responsibility to that. Okay. So in terms of um, unlocking your own potential, on a scale of 1 to 10... How maverick are you? Not in comparison to anybody else. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, six, maybe seven. Okay. You know, I think there's always more that yes. could be done and should be done. So, you know, I'm. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm okay with what I'm doing. I don't think I'm failing at what I'm doing, but I think that I could definitely do more. Okay. What advice would you give to someone who feels they're a maverick? so that they can be the best possible maverick they can be? Um, don't be afraid to speak your mind. Don't be afraid to explore um, the possibilities of a situation. Um, don't be afraid that just because it's always been done one way, that means that, that that's the way it should go on being done. Okay. What and how do you promote others to be mavericks? Um, that's a really good question. I think that... You know, I think you do it by example, right? You do it by saying, um, I understand that this is not going to be popular in many cases and we're not here for popularity's sake. Um, I understand that short-term um, kind of views of the world are really comfortable for most people and that when you're trying to create a different way of looking at something, that tends to be unpopular. Um, and help them understand that that's part of the process, that, you know, the great thinkers of our time have always been people who were criticized in the moment because they were offering a different perspective. And that's part of the price and, and part of the reality. Exactly. That was about how you promote and serve other Mavericks. How do you serve yourself? Um, by constantly being exposing myself to different thinkers, really being open to the fact that there are other ways to look at something and, and making sure you're kind of surrounded by and, and networking with people who who are unafraid to look at the world in different ways. Okay. What's your biggest ambition right now? Um, I, think, I think to fulfill my own potential, not, not because, that, not because um, from an egotistical standpoint, because I think if I can do that, my ability to help more people fulfill theirs will be exponentially greater. Okay. If you wanted to do something different in life, what would it be? different in life I don't think there's anything I, I really like what I do I mean I'm really comfortable doing what I do and um, 
I, this, this I think fits me and it suits me and I think it's something that I can make a difference at. I think I'm good at it. So, no, I'm, I think I'm doing what I'm supposed to do and what I want to do. Awesome. If you could have a superhero power, what would it be? I would like to fly. You'd like to fly? <laughs> okay. I would like to fly. I think that would be incredible. You could always base jump. Yeah, I suppose. But the ability to go from here to there on your terms when you wanted to um, it, would be pretty amazing. It, that one comes up. That one comes up. It's, it's, amazing. it's probably one of the most popular ones as it comes up. Bears. What do you do for fun? Uh, what do I do for fun? That's a good question. Um, honestly, I love um, I love working with my dogs. Mm-hmm. I love um, teaching them and exposing them to new stuff, and um, um, that's really satisfying for me. Like really having that level of engagement with those guys is really really satisfying. Okay. Final question, and then I'll chat to you. Is what would you like to have been asked? that I haven't asked you? That is a really good question. I, I, would, I have a hard time giving, giving you any really great feedback on that. Um, what would I like to do now? I can't think of anything, Billy. I think That's you get some very comprehensive list of questions. Well, if I'm I think good. of something, I will happily drop you an email. Thank you. Yeah, you're more than welcome to. Well, Charles, welcome to my Maverick family. Fantastic.